Hi, I'm Nathaniel Skye, the host of the Immersion Nation podcast. Here, the greatest minds in immersive entertainment create and conjure, muse and imagine the cultural revolution that is unfolding before us. That is immersive entertainment. Welcome. This week in the interview, we talk with David and Lisa Spira, the co-founders of Room Escape Artist, the most prolific publication covering escape rooms and the escape room industry. We start by talking about Lisa and David's first escape rooms and how Room Escape Artist, or REA for short, came to be. Next, we move on to discuss how escape rooms are contending with the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, we go in depth on the creation of the first annual recon, or reality escape convention, which has been meticulously designed to take advantage of the online medium. I would like to mention that this interview goes slightly over our usual 45-minute target. It comes out to about 50 minutes front to back. We talked for about two hours, and because there's just so much good stuff in here, we decided it would be an injustice to cut it any shorter than it already is. With that said, if you're tight on time and want to skip to one topic in particular, we will have those main three sections marked prominently in the show notes. Unfortunately, podcast platforms limit the length of an episode description you're able to include, so if you click through to the info of the episode on whichever platform you're listening on, there is a link that will take you to the site with the timestamps. Now, moving on to introduce our guests. David and Lisa Spira co-founded Room Escape Artist in 2014, but this was before they shared a last name. In fact, they met three days after David had played his first escape room. I think this is incredibly sweet. We touch on this in the interview, but you can hear Lisa's smile as she recalls the early days. David and Lisa are thought leaders, community builders, and on top of escape room artist and creating Recon Global, also run an escape room tour business called Escape Immerse Explorer, where they guide groups of people through a hand-picked selection of escape rooms in cities such as New York, New Orleans, Vancouver, and San Francisco. They are absolutely a power couple of logistical masterminds who, I'm fairly convinced, just don't sleep. Moving on to this week's featured experience. Typically, we only feature specific immersive experiences, but after hearing David and Lisa talk about their approach to creating Recon, with every little detail of a user's experience given time and attention, I think you'll agree that this is a place that it makes sense to blur the lines a little bit. Recon Global is a convention for creators and players alike that focuses on escape games and, more broadly, immersive games. Recon will be happening on August 23rd and 24th and is, believe it or not, completely free. Because the escape game industry is facing such financial hardship, Lisa, David, and the Recon team have volunteered months of their time to bring the community together. Speakers are pre-recorded to utilize the polish of edited content and are, of course, live for the following Q&As. The flow and structure of the event is crafted to recreate the serendipitous interactions found at live conferences. In all, Recon Global has likely taken more work and execution than the creation of an in-person event. Stick around after the interview for this week's Immersive Community Briefing, where we talk about Strange Bird Immersive, the potential of 3D audio, and a smattering of other goings-on around the immersive sphere. And with that... We are on to the next.
This week, the Immersion Nation podcast is brought to you by none other than Immersion Nation's Experience Directory, a great resource to find immersive experiences for your adventuring enjoyment. This includes a multitude of remote and digital experiences to be enjoyed from the safety of your own home. Typically, immersive entertainment is almost exclusively an in-person medium. Thus, enjoying new immersive adventures often requires a plane ticket in addition to a ticket to the experience. But because in-person is a little problematic right now, many of the most brilliant immersive creators are producing interactive work to be enjoyed via Zoom, phone, text, social media, or a combination thereof. So if you're in the mood for a little intrigue or excitement, go check out the Find Experiences for Quarantine page on our website, ImmersionNation.com. David, Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. We're delighted to be here. So to start with, how many rooms have you each played? We have played more than 900 escape rooms. That is a pretty extraordinary number. We don't have the particular, the specific number at the moment. We kind of sort of stopped tracking once we entered quarantine. But yeah, we've, we've, we've played a few games. Just a couple, just a couple. And do you guys ever find yourself just out in daily life automatically, like your brain just in the background starts putting numbers together or starts seeing a puzzle somewhere that like, you know, rationally, there's nothing there, but your brain is just autopiloting, trying to crack a code of some variety. It doesn't happen so much today, but it used to happen all the time. And the moment that it happened was when we left an escape room and we had this sense of hyper awareness from playing the game. Yeah, so we, we've we come to call this escape room, post-escape room hyper-awareness, and a lot of folks seem to feel it. And we felt it for a few hundred games, and then it actually went away. And it is the single thing that I miss most as I have sort of leveled up as a player. I really miss that sensation because it was a weird kind of high. It was such an amazing thing, especially we'd play the game, we'd be with a group of friends, we'd go out to dinner or drinks after the game, and we would be all be sitting in a restaurant or a bar or something and looking around and be like, no, no, that's not a puzzle. That's the menu. <laughs> and our, our home market being New York City, you know, you walk out of an escape room and you are in the middle of the city and you are surrounded by doors and locks and numbers and signs. And some of them are hundreds of years old and they don't really make a lot of sense in the first place. So this, the amount of stimulus that you, you And because have, in New York City, you're usually walking out of the games onto the street, you're not going to a parking lot and getting back into your car. I think that was particularly something about playing in New York because you would just start walking through the city and you, the game mentality was still in your head. That that makes complete sense. The most interesting thing for me that has emerged from that is um, I'm I'm very much not a conspiracy theory person. I'll put that mildly, but it has given me a sense of empathy for conspiracy theorists, because when you enter into a constructed world like in an escape room, there actually is a conspiracy that that world was put together for you to solve that conspiracy. And there's something very calming and beautiful and inviting about a world where there is absolute order. Everything is there for a reason and there's meaning behind it. And when you leave that, it's kind of like throwing a blanket off on a cold day. It's like, oh, okay, you, 
everything is back to chaos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that connection there between those two points definitely makes a lot of sense. It's uh, harder oftentimes to just accept complete randomness as just an inescapable part of reality than it is to want to organize it or find some way to organize it. So draw the line between your first escape room and starting room escape artist for me. So David's first escape room and my first escape room were different and are part of the saga that took us to room escape artist. I was planning a trip with an old friend of mine from childhood to Hungary. And the top rated thing to do on on TripAdvisor in Budapest was something called claustrophilia. And that name combined with all of their five star ratings warranted further investigation. And it turned out that it was an, an escape room. I had never heard of this concept before, uh, but it was, it was actually 2013. It was December of 2013. And I immediately fell in love with the idea before even having a chance to play. And so I call up my friend. We agree we're going to go and do this. And the trip wasn't until March. So I wake up the next morning and I have what I call my entitled New Yorker moment, where I said, well, if this exists in Budapest, there should be one in New York City. And so I searched and the very first escape room really east of, I think, San Francisco had just opened up in North America. It was Escape the Room. They had one game. It was called The Office. And I booked the entire game out. And I didn't know if like I didn't know if this was going to be any good or not, but I invited 11 friends maxed out at 12 people. And um, I didn't tell them what we were going to do. I just said, we're going to go to this thing. It's going to take about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. It is going to cost you $28. I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be safe. And nine of those 11 showed up without any additional information. Uh, We went and we played. And I was just like, this is this is the thing for me. And I met David in a bar three days later. And he was telling me about this thing that they'd done where there were puzzles and it, it was all coming together and they were trying to escape this room. And I was like, that sounds really cool. And he asked for my number. And here we are. But there were a couple of steps along the way. Um, my first escape room actually was a couple months later and it was with all of his friends who had already played that original escape room with him that they went to with no idea. And it didn't even occur to me that this might be a pressure-filled situation until I was on the subway going to the room to meet all the friends of my new boyfriend to play this puzzle game. And turned out it was a ton of fun. It went really well. And I also fell in love with this type of entertainment. And you solved the final puzzle. I did. I was useless for like 57 minutes. And then I knew what to do. Oh, that is fantastic. We played a few more games. I played on that trip to Europe. I played a a game in Budapest. I played a game in Prague, came back, played a few more. And then we went and played uh, Scraps Escape the Werewolf Village, which is this mass game that has traveled around the world a few times. Um, We did it on my birthday. And And by mass game, it means that a lot of different groups are playing at once. It's not the traditional escape room where your team of four to 12 are in a room. It's there are a lot of groups of six at tables around this big space. Yeah, it's a big ballroom type thing. And we hated this game. We hated it really badly. And we saw hundreds of people leaving it disappointed. And I'm the type of nerd who is like, I need to tell the internet just in case someone wants to find out that this was not representative of 
a larger the larger escape room experience because like <laughs> i i just wanted more games i wanted there to be more games i wanted them to be better i wanted more people playing them so that the companies would make more money and then they would be more stable and they would make more games for me to play that is that is really where this started and so i put up a review on my personal blog at the time um just figuring if somebody were to google search escape the werewolf village they could find out that this is they should go play a different game and that um that was the start of summer and that entire summer we were trying to bring more people to escape rooms for this selfish goal of we want there to be more games and more people playing them so we started inviting everybody we knew to play escape rooms with us as more of them opened and people started to get nervous because now we were the experts because we'd played four or five and they had never done this before so we wrote a couple of sort of like primer pieces like what to expect how to do an escape room so people could read that ahead of time and feel comfortable and join us and love this experience and that was all on david's personal blog so now we have a couple more blog posts about escape rooms and then we went to go visit some friends in San Francisco and we went and took them to their first escape room and they fell in love. And we went back to their apartment and a friend who we had plans with flaked on us. And so we're sitting around with our friends saying, is there another game we can play in the city? And they were like, we want to do another one. Like, you guys know these things. Like, let's do more. And we were like, we only knew of the one. We better find more. So we Googled all of the escape rooms in San Francisco and we booked, we, we booked a game. And then we were saying, well, where else are these things? We didn't have any plans because we had been flaked on. And so we sat on our friend's couch, the four of us, and we just started Googling escape room. And then we did every single state in the U.S. And we compiled a Google every sheet. major city yeah. to try to find these things. And mm -hmm. we compiled a Google sheet and a Google map. And that was the start. Then we had a directory. So now we have a directory, some player tips and a couple of reviews. And it was like, OK. We, we have a blog. Yeah. I had a hunch that escape rooms were going to be a big thing at some point, but I was wrong on the timeline. I, I thought that this was going to remain a niche, nerdy, underground thing for like five to ten years. Uh, if I had to pick a number, I was going to guess like seven. But within about three months of us launching Room Escape Artist, um, we were getting calls from Newsweek and CBS Sunday Morning. Uh, not, C not CBS no. Sunday Morning, CBS News. Yep. That like, Sunday morning came later. Way later. Uh, way later. And our traffic started growing exponentially and the number of companies on our map started growing exponentially. And this thing that we thought we were going to throw a couple of pins on a map, you know, every few weeks and write a post every two to four weeks turned into this behemoth kind of over the course of three months and eight hour lives. And we were pretty thankful for it. We, we really just enjoyed it. So we're like, all right, well, let's just keep having this adventure. And we were especially thankful for it because we met so many wonderful people along the way. And we wanted to keep going at this because we were loving the games and we were loving the community that we were finding, playing them and creating them. Wow, that makes me wonder how that timing unfolded. You said that that was 2012, correct? Uh, I found it was December of 2013 was when I figured out that escape rooms existed. Oh, OK. Yeah. February of 2014 uh, was was when I finally got to play. And that's when March of 2014 was when I played. Yeah. And then June of 2014 was that first review. And August of 2014 was the trip to San Francisco. And by September, 
we had Room Escape Artist. Yeah. And before it was winter, we were featured in Newsweek and things just started getting kind of crazy. So it's basically the entirety of 2014 was a slow roll towards this life changing thing that kind of happened by accident. By 2015, this was just a major part of our lives. What did it feel like opening your inbox, I assume, to see the email from Newsweek and like having it start to sink in that this thing that you would expect it to be, you know, a couple blog posts and a couple map pins and a spreadsheet was suddenly something much, much more. I was nervous when I first took that call. I was just really nervous that this was going to be someone who didn't really care about this stuff and was just going to write a really negative piece about, you know, dumb millennials doing dumb millennial things. Um, and so I was really, I, I was actually uncomfortable when I took the call and I was just figuring, well, I'm going to try and represent this as best as I can. And uh, the reporter who called up was wonderful. He had gone on a family vacation, took his kids to an escape room and they loved it. They went and they played a few more and he came back and pitched his editor on this idea. He was already sold. He already really enjoyed escape rooms. And um, we started to talk and we had 15 minutes scheduled and an hour later, we're still on the phone nerding out about this stuff and he he says to me would you know i i need a pov for this piece would would you and your wife and your team come and play a game with me and we'll do it was piece. your girlfriend at the time yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. right yeah that's right <laughs> time flies <laughs> um but yeah would you would you play a game with me and can i tell write this piece from your perspective and all right so we we gathered a team of some of our favorite you know, teammates and friends. The other nerve wracking thing, which has been an interesting experience for us over the years, was choosing the game because you don't know what you're going to get until after you play it. You can only play these once if you're actually going to play with someone. We've, of course, brought people to games that we had already played. But if we were going to be point of view here and we were going to play with this reporter, we couldn't have already played it. So it was very nerve wracking to choose. And we picked a play of the company whose games we had already enjoyed um hoping it would go well and for us over the years sometimes that has gone really well and it did in this case and sometimes it has not yeah nowadays we take reporters to games that we know and trust and we either hang back um, and bring people who haven't played it or we solve the puzzles that we had not touched in our last playthrough yeah that's really cool Going into it being like, hey, it just saves a lot of time and effort to know that the experience that they're going to have for their sake is exactly what we expect it to be. So you have both played so many games at this point in time. When was the last time you remember a given game making you just go like, whoa, having that moment? Uh, maybe the best way to describe that is like a similar feeling to when a really well done really well-concealed uh, secret door opens up and there is a genuinely unexpected next room in an experience. Love that analogy. Just before this um, pandemic and lockdown started, we took a trip to Athens, Greece, where I think we had multiple moments like that. It, it was so many. Uh, yeah, Greece is, uh, Greece is a phenomenal escape room scene. So February as the answer to your question. Yeah, we played... We played about half a dozen different games in Greece that just repeatedly blew our minds. One of the things that we've seen a lot is that different escape room markets have different flavors. And we had heard a lot about the Athens market. It's known for having really long games. 
um, having different modes of play that are focused on the horror or the puzzles or all of that combined, having a lot of character and storytelling, um, and having you know, large spaces in some of these games as well. So we were really interested to see what that would be like. And many of those games just did things we had never seen before. And I will add for those who are not uh, so knowledgeable with escape rooms, um, Athens is a particularly horror heavy escape room scene. Um, that's not necessarily the norm. Um, in fact, it's really not the norm in most places. Uh, but Athens is really horror focused. That's really curious. Um, are there any other places, uh, flavors, so to speak, that have stood out to you in similar ways from uh, markets around the world? Athens is a unique beast in that it has this, for, for as far as we're aware, unique combination of just size and scale game length. Like the longest game we played there was three and a half hours. Um, the sets are massive. And they make a lot of use of actors and are heavily focused on storytelling, which is kind of the confluence of a lot of the stuff that we really love. The Netherlands is an incredible escape room scene, um, wonderful, detailed world building and just truly immersive environments. There's and a style to the games in the Netherlands, too. There's an intensity to those games that isn't horror or isn't necessarily horror, but a lot of them are not. And just because of where that market started and some of the first companies that influenced the creators in Amsterdam and other parts of the Netherlands, there's a style there that's just story-driven and immersive and intense. Yeah, the, you know, the scene in Los Angeles and the United States, as well as um, the New Orleans and that greater New Orleans area, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, uh, these are some standout places just in general. That, like We're happy to go and play and then go back and play again because there's always new stuff coming up. I also want to call out Montreal, which has a very whimsical, fun style to the escape rooms from multiple different companies, just creative and unusual and sort of like lightheartedly fun. Does that sound right to you? I'd say that's accurate. Fantastic. Uh, Thank you for that. Moving from there, escape rooms and the pandemic. I know you sent me just four articles off the top, which... I should say, will be linked up in the show notes for those of you out there listening. They are four different perspectives on how the escape room industry has been affected by and interacted with the current state of the world. But could you just give us a brief overview of what has happened to the escape room industry over the last few months? Yeah, we'll talk about the elephant in the room. Um, So escape rooms are a physical in-person activity, and those are um, a little bit challenging right now. Escape rooms, they're going through a series of different cycles. All of these cycles are in different places, in different parts of the world. I think what we're going to be seeing, unfortunately, is, is a lot of cyclical cycles that follow this pattern of companies having to shut down, companies having to adapt and figure out how do they support themselves and their customer base. In this case, it has been largely producing online experiences. Some of them are producing free content. A lot of them are producing paid content, whether that is um, that's that's coming in a lot of different forms, um, which I think we'll get to in a second. The other side of this pattern is the reopening and what we're seeing and hearing about from owners around the world um, is that some places the reopening is going very smoothly and they're making more money now than they were for comparable weeks um, in previous years. And some places are 
doing 20, 25% of the business that they were seeing a year ago. And that seems to largely be tied to local sentiment around the danger that the virus presents. And escape rooms, at least in terms of entertainment reopening, have a lot to offer. So this is you know, an optimistic look for them, but because they are small scale entertainment that you can do with the people who you've been in quarantine with or with the few people that you are seeing um, in an enclosed environment and they can be private, um, that is a huge opportunity for escape rooms. Yeah, so the fact that escape rooms are private, they are even a big escape room facility can't handle more than like 50 people at a time. And if they slash their bookings in half, which I think a lot of places have, that's that's just the big ones. Most of these places are, you know, two, three games, you know, two to six people per game, two to eight people per game. We're not talking about putting a large number of people into a space. Basically, the entire industry has shifted to private booking. Um, internationally, almost the entire world had been on private booking. About half of the United States had been on private booking. The other half had been on public booking. And that has, in the escape room community, uh, particularly in the international Facebook groups, uh, that has always been a bone of contention where um, largely people outside of the U.S. judge American companies for having public bookings at all. Um, the only other country where public bookings is even remotely the norm uh, is mainland China. And that's a whole interesting thing where it's actually culturally baked into the way escape rooms work over there, where people actually go to escape rooms to meet new people. It's a really interesting dynamic. We put out a guide. It's one of the links that we shared with you. It has a lot of recommendations that we have culled from different industries um, and government document, you know, government recommendations around everything from mask use to attendance to cancellation policies. We've pulled together a lot of stuff. We tried to use only things that could be cleanly supported. We tried to make this as apolitical as we possibly could because we just wanted to help companies reopen safely, keep them keep their staff safe, keep their players safe. And for the most part, we've had a really positive response to that. But of course, it is bound to change. Um, one of the things in there were the recommendations around ventilation um, when we published this about a month ago. It seems like as the science unfolds, ventilation recommendations are going to change. And so we will be updating as the science does. And that's really where we're at. But I guess the other thing that's particularly interesting is during this time where companies chose to or had to be closed because they were in person is what those creators chose to create instead, as David said, either free, free or paid, mostly to play over the Internet, some to be shipped um, with physical components to play at home. And we've seen all sorts of different things. We've seen what we're calling avatar escape rooms in the community where somebody, the game master or an actor or the owner plays the game, is in the actual physical game that you could play if you were there, but you're communicating with them over the internet through Zoom or similar technology, and you're directing them as to how to play that game, what they should pick up, what they should move and look at and direct the camera. And um, many of them have adapted on that from you know just dumb hands to a real character who adds a new facet to the experience that in many cases adds immersion that wasn't there before. Um, people have changed how these how these rooms work through the added avatar experience. And there have been many other types of interesting games that we've seen as well, more um, point and click adventures, more different types of internet based adventures that kind of harken back to an earlier form of escape room style play. Um, 
games with printable components um, to give you that physical, um, tangible asset of the game, and just all sorts of takes on online creations. That makes a lot of sense. Um, there's definitely so many places where the escape room community and, of course, also the broader immersive community has gotten so creative throughout this period in time to find different ways to add different levels of multimedia interaction to games and find different ways to have games manifest. Um, that note there on the end about hearkening back to kind of the original form of escape game, I thought was very interesting because you probably know this history much better than I do, but or that is to say, so please check me on it if I don't get any of this right. But if I'm recalling correctly, Escape Room started in Japan and actually from someone wanting to build a live version of what was an Escape Room app. And the physical, tangible version was built and became incredibly popular and then just spread across the world like wildfire. And that was only like less than 10 years ago, if I'm recalling correctly. You're basically on point. It was a little bit over a decade ago now at this point. But basically, that's that's the story. I mean, this is these are video games brought to life and then by way of pandemic brought back into video games. Yeah, just a, just a very different form of video game. And, and I will add, there's two things that I've been really excited about playing online. One are the games that I actually think are better online, which Lisa was was mentioning, is there are some games that like Ready Mayor One comes to mind immediately. I, I haven't played it in real life, but I am convinced that that game is better streamed over the internet than it would be in real life because the owner and, and game master, Rob, he adds so much character to the way he is playing with you that I, I cannot, and, and it wouldn't be there in that way if, if we were playing in real life. I actually think it's better. The stuff that I'm really, truly attracted to has been the games that people have deliberately designed for the internet, not games that they've adapted for the internet. The, the games where people have said, okay, well, I have Zoom, and Zoom has these strengths and these weaknesses, and I have a couple of websites that I can build, and websites have these strengths and these weaknesses, and, and you know, I can act. How can I combine these things to make something that is going to be really compelling and designed specifically for the medium? And so, like, the one that immediately comes to mind for me is The Truth About Edith, uh, and also scraps escape the alien research facility which are two games that are not adaptations of real life escape rooms they are definitely escape roomy but they have been made explicitly for the internet and they play in a way that uh, it just feels like it was made for it and that to me i love that combination of form and function and i think that that combination of form and function is something that we've been talking about for a long time in our reviews of physical escape rooms and some of the critiques that we have given to physical, regular, real life, whatever you want to call the escape rooms we were playing before this pandemic, um, that, you know, it would be less satisfying if you were solving a paper puzzle in a game that could have tangible elements. So it was something that was really a part of how we interpreted these games before, really that this was a new form that gave you a new canvas for what you could do and to use it. Um, and then seeing that again now on the internet, those have been our favorites that have said, wait a second, now we're not in the physical room. We have a different canvas. What are we going to do? And that's a really significant topic in the immersive theater world specifically because of how frequently that question uh, needs to be asked. And I think from what I understand, how frequently it isn't in so far as the question of why are you using this form? to. Turn the corner once again. Let's jump into Recon. 
let's do it. If I'm reading the press kit right, this is going to be Recon's first year? This is Recon's first year. It was supposed to be in Boston. It was supposed to be a real-life convention. You all know why it's not happening in real life. Right, right. I hope that the process of refiguring that was you guys had enough heads-up time that it wasn't as much of a logistical nightmare as it has for other similar events and other conferences. Yeah, we had a lot more runway. And thankfully, our venue was very responsive um, and very easy to work with in terms of delaying. So we were able to push Boston Recon to 2021. They were incredibly gracious in in working with us on that. Um, the, the drama for us has been in trying to figure out, well, as we were talking about, we care a lot about designing for the for the form and function we're going to have. And in this case, the ideas that we had for real life recon largely get thrown out the window because we have to design something very different for the internet. We've been attending conferences in this space and and other ones, tech conferences and, and things sort of in, tangentially related to both for a long time. And we had come up with a lot of ideas of how we would do things when we eventually decided that it was time for us to host a convention. But we had always had that lens of it would be in person. So we've been spending an enormous amount of time with our team, by the way. We have a team working with us on Recon, and they are amazing. And we've been spending a lot of time with them just thinking about how to design for the same goals when the media medium is the Internet. And our goals are quality content. We're really focused on curated and just refined and really thought through content as well as community building. We really want this to be a place where you meet other people um, and you learn from each other and just grow the world around escape rooms and other related, you know, gamified, puzzly, immersive types of experiences. So it's been interesting. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can only imagine. And I do want to dig into the conversion of the live convention to a digital format. Um, but to start with, what's going to be talked about at Recon insofar as specific panels or just to get a little bit more granular than convention around escape rooms? Absolutely. So first of all, Recon is free August 23rd and 24th. It's a Sunday, Monday. Those days were deliberately chosen because Saturday tends to be the busiest day in the escape room industry. Um, and, and Monday is a, is pretty much a dead day. Uh, so we've got content for creators and owners and players alike. We are spanning a whole bunch of different subject matter. Um, from We have the aforementioned uh, Haley and Cameron from Strange Bird Immersive. They're speaking on uh, the tools of immersion. We have Manda Whitney from the Room Escape Divas speaking about building characters and all the different characters that are part of an escape room and the story around that. I am incredibly excited about the way that that talk is shaping up, by the way. We have Jason Richard from Steel and Escape talking about technology. That, that company is in San Diego. Um, I think we're going to end up with something akin to like a cooking show, uh, but with tech filmed in his, uh, in, in his workshop. So I'm really excited about that one. He's a very interesting dude. And we have David Kwong. Um, from many different things, but the Escape Room community knows him especially from The Enigmatist, um, a show that ran for a year in New York, sold out performances that combines magic and puzzles, especially word puzzles. He's a cruciverbalist, crossword puzzle creator. And um, and the way he has created that unique art form. 
yeah, if you the Enigmatist was just a phenomenal production, and it's supposed to be coming back to Los Angeles at some point when things can. We also have the team, the test subjects out of Las Vegas, um, Bizarro, Crystal, and Greg, who are magicians and escape room puzzle and prop designers who are some of the most creative and entertaining people I've ever met and are going to be speaking especially about bringing creativity into creation. They're, they're going to be running effectively like a workshop to help people break out of the common cliches and figure out how to how to maximize their own creativity and and make something that is uniquely theirs. We have a lot more talks in the works as well, but they haven't been announced yet. Yeah. So that's about it. I think that's about as far as we can go. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say we haven't we haven't announced this yet, but we do have um, Pluck Butter MC. Yes. Yeah. We have a, a guy named Harrison Greenbaum, um, who is a comedian and a magician, and he's very talented at both. He's also a longtime escape room player. He's been playing a bit longer than even we have. And he's going to be emceeing the event. The guy is a riot and he really gets escape rooms. So that combination is something we're very excited about. So that actually is a perfect segue into the next question being for those of us who haven't attended an online convention or anything similar. How does one have an online convention? Just the fact that you're saying you have an MC speaks to the fact that you're approaching this a little bit differently than I've seen done in the past. What form is this going to take from the perspective of a guest? So how do we approach? Well, we approach it the way we kind of approach everything, which is uh, anal retentively. <laughs> um, we're, we're looking at this as crafting an experience. And so that is everything from the talks to where you're engaging and how we're presenting the information to you. Uh, so what we're going to have is, and none of this is announced, but now is as good a time as any to announce it. Uh, we have been building a Discord community um, specifically for, to host Recon. Uh, Discord is a chat platform. It um, can handle text, audio, and video. And um, so that is going to be kind of our home base. It's going to be where people are able to um, engage with one another engage with our sponsors, engage with the vendors. We're going to have vendors. They're all going to have their own rooms in within our digital show floor, which will be within Discord. We're going to have a lot of video. We're pre-recording almost all of the content. And so there'll be assigned times where that content will air. And the structure that we have for that is you'll go into a panel in Discord. The link will be there and you can click it. You'll be able to stream the video. It'll open up with the host introducing the speaker. The speaker is going to deliver a talk. We've selected our speakers very carefully for people who check off three different boxes. One is that they have to know how to do something and have demonstrated in the past that they, they can do it. They have to be willing to share that knowledge. Um, we've encountered folks who have, you know, feel that what they do that's special is a trade secret, and that's cool. Good for them. We will happily enjoy their games. They can't speak at Recon. It's okay. And then the, the final thing is that they have to have the ability to present that information in a compelling and entertaining way. And the reason for that is that we've been to a lot of conferences where there was someone on stage who had a great message that didn't get through because they just weren't rehearsed or they weren't a good enough speaker. You need to have the chops for it. And I can imagine that that uh, friction is amplified having it be an online conference rather than an in-person conference. For sure. A lot of people who are used to speaking at conferences have never done it from their home over technology without a live audience. And so um, we've chosen to do this recorded 
So we'll be recording the talks, but they will be doing a live Q&A following their talk. So they will have some of that audience interaction. Yeah. And so after the Q&A, many of our talks are going to have discussion groups where we break the audience up into groups of six people with a seventh person facilitator. And they will, as small groups, be able to spend a half hour talking to each other, making sense of what was just presented to them and figuring out what it means to them and their creations and whatever it is that they, they're looking to do. And that will be an opportunity to meet other people who are coming at this from different perspectives and unpack the talks. And we're, we're trying to solve a lot of problems with all of this different stuff. The discussion groups are there to foster community and a sense of belonging and, and presence that you know, we won't have if people are in chat rooms or if there's no chat rooms at all. We are also trying to, to normalize things a little bit because one of the things we've observed about talks at conferences in general, escape room, immersive theater, tech, you name it, is that there's always this, this, this struggle of going to a talk where you, you, know, you have people, at any given talk, you have people who are experts on the subject and probably could be giving that talk and people for whom that talk is blowing their mind. And everything that they're learning is changing the way that they are going to work in the future. And the hope is that the discussion groups offer a place where both of those people can really thrive. The expert who could have been giving the talk is able to more intimately share their knowledge and their experience with other people. And the newbie is able to come in and have some, some other people help them make sense of and answer their nitty gritty questions uh, about what they just learned that just changed the way they're going to work. And so all of that will be coming together, we hope, we are striving for, over Discord and the Recon website where you'll be viewing the talks. And um, you'll be able to go back and forth between them. And, you know, that's, I guess that's how we're putting together this experience. There's, there's a whole bunch of other secrets and things that will be layered on top of and within all of this. Save that for another day. But we've been working at this from a lot of different angles. We have a lot of really smart and dedicated people spending basically all of their quarantine time trying to build up infrastructure around recon to turn it into something that we feel will be a success. We have adopted other people into this lifestyle of when you leave your real job, you just do this. <laughs> um, but that's, but it's been great. And it's been fun having people bouncing ideas off of each other late into the night about how we're going to structure all of this. That sounds absolutely incredible. I am so excited to get the chance to personally experience the output of the sheer amount of creative and logistical masterminding work that you guys have done. I, I can't imagine a better pair of logistical masterminds to put together something like this. And I think it will be absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. We're, we're going to do our best to not let not let people down. That's that's kind of, you know, we're we're very critical of ourselves. And the way that we look at it is, you know, we've been you know, we've been writing a review site for years, um, you know, we have to be self-critical and we have to try and produce the best thing we possibly can because right now, you know, and the way we're looking at this is that immersive entertainment is in, in need of a shot in the arm. It is in need of more engagement and more awareness and a stronger, tighter community because the challenges that are ahead are not the types of challenges that people can plan for. And they're the types of things that we're best served by confronting together. And so with, with, you know, that's, that's really the way that we're approaching it. 
Certainly. And from what it sounds like from the beginning of Room Escape Artist, my read on it anyway, is that you guys have approached a lot of this from the frame of reference of building a community and all of the content and all of the tours and everything that you guys do kind of organize themselves around that because you have started from the place of creating community in that right. That's that's exactly it. And the way that we had have, have approached this all along is for a very long time, we were trying not to create a convention. We were trying not to create a Facebook group. Interesting. We were, which is a, a counterintuitive thing. We were trying to just say, let's, you know, wherever the community is, that's where we're going to be. And whether that's, you know, the dozen different Facebook groups that we're in or the many different conferences, I think from like five or six different countries that we have attended and spoken at, our approach has always been, let's just go where the community is going to be and do the best work that we can there. And do the best we can to support whoever is creating those spaces digitally or in person. Yeah. And we did that really right up until the point where we had said, you know what, there is there is a significant gap in the United States and someone needs to step up and fill that gap. And we've gone to enough of these things. We have thought about it enough. We feel like we can produce something that will be of value to the community. And so we took the leap. And that's that's but it was it was never really our plan to do this. But kind of as with everything we end up doing, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it the very best that we can. Most certainly. How are you bridging the gap between escape room professionals and escape room players? I know you mentioned the idea of having very intentional mixtures of people in rooms so that the professionals and the more experienced people can kind of serve as educators and as that bridge in and of themselves. Is that the main tool that you guys are using to balance speaking to both of those audiences? Or are there other places that that has uh, manifested itself in the design process for you guys? It's working in a number of different ways, we hope. We have, although we didn't list them, talks that are particularly geared toward players that will be announced later. And then some of those talks are particularly geared toward people who are creating or owning these businesses um, or these games. But a lot of the content that people are working on is going to span both. Um, It's going to have things that are of interest no matter what side you're coming from. So we're spanning it with content in different ways. And we realize also that an event like this, where you're going to sit at your computer for two days straight, nobody is going to sit at their computer except for us. For all of it, for two days, people are going to need to um, and want to do other things. So we realize that some of the content will be geared more towards some people and some of the content will be geared more towards other people. But what we'll be writing the whole time in the background for as much as you want to consume or as little, is the Discord and the chats and the various ways you can engage with those chats over text or voice um, and what you can do with them. So where people will be able to use that to find other people who are like them or different from them who want to discuss the same sorts of things and have conversations there. Yeah, so to, to piggyback on that, we're making sure that the content, essentially none of the content, maybe one, maybe two talks, are focused on a broad, all-inclusive audience. The bulk of them are going to be targeted. And the, the, in our opinion, the best way to produce good content is to not try and make it all things to all people. So we definitely have that in mind. It's also in the escape room world, I think also, in, you know, maybe to a slightly lesser degree in the immersive theater world, 
the line between creator and consumer has always been pretty thin. A lot of, especially your top creators, are diehard players. You know, they've played hundreds of games. And we've seen that on our tours. Yeah. And a lot of your diehard players, even if they're not making escape rooms, they're thinking about it. You know, maybe they'll never take the leap. Um, maybe they're just making things in their basement for their friends. And they're dabbling. You know, they're making birthday escape rooms for their spouses. Multiple people have told us that. So they're they're making things. Yeah. So what we're looking at is, especially for this year, producing content that helps teach people core principles that will help them be a better immersive game designer, regardless of the format they're working in. So whether you're making a real life escape room, an online escape room, a escape room board game, uh, or something in some realm between all of those, our aim is to provide you with tools and knowledge that will simply help you elevate whatever it is you're producing. The other thing that we didn't mention that I want to add is that we do have a digital exhibit hall as well, um, where there will be products that will be showcased um, from different companies, some of which are geared at business owners and others of which are geared at players. So there'll be a lot of interesting things, um, depending on your perspective, that you can check out in the digital exhibit hall and where you'll be able to talk to the uh, owners of those businesses about their products. That's something I have not seen at all before. And I'm very, very curious to see how that winds up working um, and very excited to explore that space. And then that does make a lot of sense insofar as approaching it kind of with the experience of content creators that you guys have had around Room Escape Artist being we are going to leverage personalization to make sure that this is something that across the board works for many different audiences, but not at the same time. It's something that everybody has something that is geared towards them specifically, and we're not trying to talk to everybody at once in most circumstances. Even even at real life conferences, like you, know, you can you watch people take them in differently. Some people will spend all of their time on the trade show floor. Some people will take, you know, won't miss an opportunity to see a talk. Some people, myself included, will spend most of their time, I call it the hallway track, standing outside of something just talking to people. I love, I love the engagement. I love, I love just getting to know other people, hearing about what they're working on and exchanging ideas. Um, you know, I'll drop in on a couple of talks. I'll wander around the show floor. I'll, you know, I'll kind of take the whole thing in, but that's what, what I love about a good convention is serendipity. And that is what we're going to try to encourage people. And this is one of our bigger challenges is making it so that people understand that this is not, you know, there, there is a, a talk track that is on rails and that's going to start. And if you really want to, you can watch every single minute of every single talk, the entire show. Um, and that, that will, that is a hundred percent one way to go. Um, but it's not necessary and it's not the whole thing. We want to encourage that conversation, that serendipity, that opportunity to meet new people, talk about new things and just have your own, your own time there. That is I can imagine probably one of the trickiest things to recreate in a digital space. Um, but yeah, very much the magic of a convention. That serendipity is exactly the thing that really creates the connective tissue that comes out of a conference on the other side of it. What advantages and disadvantages of having it online rather than in person have you guys worked with in not just converting it, but creating a conference specifically for a digital medium, what kinds of places have you seen the 
pros and cons of the online medium show up most pointedly? Well, we specifically branded this as Recon Global. And I think one of the biggest advantages is that it we are able to bring in people, both creators and participants and consumers from all over the world because traveling is a limitation on people. And if you can consume and create and participate from home, then that's a huge advantage in building community and sharing perspectives that we wouldn't necessarily be able to have. Um, one of the disadvantages connected to that is that time zones are challenging. Yeah, time zones are a big, big challenge. Other challenges and other pros. You know, one the biggest pro is like we can reach everybody. Anyone who who finds out about it can attend and can learn and engage, and that's that's pretty cool. Uh, some of the downsides we you know this is we we can't really we feel that under the current circumstances we can't charge for this. You know, we basically have you know our industries are are, are bleeding out financially, um, and so we've put this on for free. Um, other downsides are that while in theory, we have a whole world worth of speakers who we can reach out to. In practice, the way that we're doing this is requiring us to put a lot more burden on those speakers than we would have to in real life, where we fly them in, they get on stage, they do their thing, and that's that. Um, with this, it's a lot more work. Um, it is it is much harder to record and the way you know, the, the way that this works you know the content has to just be better um if we have a bad talk then we you know we can lose you know we could have people just tune out of the entire convention you're not going to do that in real life if we happen to have one person get on stage and flub it and the way that we approach it i don't think we would but hypothetically you know, someone leaves a talk, they're like, okay, that was that was not a good talk. But they go back and they do another. With a free online event, if you tune out, you might be tuning out for good. And so we are incredibly focused on producing content that is is that we, we hope will um, engage people throughout this. And we're also really focused, as David mentioned earlier, on on building a way to have these serendipitous moments and build connection. But um, it does it does lose, you know, doing that over chat, a lot of it, it won't all be over chat, but doing doing a large part of that over chat. For some people, that's a huge advantage. But for other people, that is really losing that face to face connection that you get at an in person event when you're having drinks together after a talk. Some of the other pros is that like the there's a little, you know, the little bit of um of, of a wall between who you appear to be on the Internet versus who you are. There's I think there's opportunity for less um, less of a pecking order, which we've seen in a lot of escape room and, and industry events where there are in crowds. We're hoping that by having these these chats where you know everyone has a voice in them, more people can can surface and can find a voice um, than they might if they were in a place where there are established in crowds that are very difficult to break into. Certainly. And on that note, I think we are in a great place to wrap. So where can people find you online? Where is the best place for people to connect with the Room Escape artist community and Recon and all of the work that you guys are doing right now? So Room Escape Artist is at roomescapeartist.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Room Escape Art and Instagram. Recon, you can find at realityescapeconvention.com. Um, we are also on Facebook and 
Twitter and Instagram and wherever you want to find us. Um, Recon is deliberately named Reality Escape, not Room Escape, because we want to in- we want to bring in the entire immersive gaming community, people who want to create alternate realities for other folks to escape into. Fantastic. Well, David, Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It's been great. That it has. Of course, to all of our listeners out there, as always, everything we've mentioned throughout this conversation will be in the show notes at immersionnation.com slash podcast. And now it's time to move on to the next segment. Hello, and welcome to this week's Immersive Community Briefing. Here, we update you on new shows, answer listener questions, and talk about what's happening out there in the world of immersive entertainment. This week, we're talking about Strange Bird Immersive, the potential of 3D audio, and a smattering of other goings-on around the world of immersive. First up, Strange Bird Immersive is a repeatedly acclaimed escape room and socially immersive experience company based in Houston, Texas. Strange Bird Immersive is the winner of the 2019 Immersion Award for Best Immersive Game. And if you didn't catch it in the interview, the wonderful owners of Strange Bird Immersive, Haley and Cameron Cooper, will be speaking at Recon this August. I wanted to call these guys out for two reasons. First, in their interview on this podcast last year, I believe we failed to mention Haley Cooper's blog, Immersology. Though she only publishes occasionally, when she does, it is well worth the read. As both an immersive actor and an experience creator, she explores different parts of the experience creation process in uncommonly granular detail. I thought it would be a good time to bring this up because... Strange Bird Immersive has just launched their own virtual immersive experience. It is a 15-minute tarot reading via one-on-one Zoom call. Very simple. But, of course, simple in any art form is always harder to pull off. A simple format here allows Strange Bird's new immersive experience to be the only thing it needs to be. A perfect feat of immersive acting. Speaking of new shows... Let's look at a cross-section of recent events in the immersive realm. First up, a man from Detroit, Michigan, Johnny Perry, has been trading gold, silver, diamonds, and antiques for over 23 years, but recently has made the difficult decision to close up shop. Instead of trying to maintain the business through quarantine, he has decided to bury his inventory and sell tickets to a real treasure hunt. In several locations throughout Michigan, Hundreds of thousands of dollars in real treasure lays waiting. Johnny's treasure quest begins August 1st with tickets already sold out through September. Next up, Jury Duty, one of the most popular online immersive experiences created for quarantine, has announced an indefinite run. After selling out several times and extending the run of the show several times, Jury Duty seems to have earned a place as an ongoing immersive piece. One of the first that has fully disavowed its origins as a quarantine necessity. On a more somber note, the longtime immersive venue, Wilderance, is closing its doors. Wilderance was known as the only long-running, changeable, immersive theater venue in Manhattan, and for a long time, all of New York. Over the years, it has been the home of innumerable shows, including Six Impossible Things and Broken Ghost Immersives, The Bunker. While it is certainly a loss to the immersive community, in the announcement email, the owners expressed the closing of Wilderance is not the end of their work in the immersive space. Finally, another new show, Double, created 
by UK-based Darkfield. Darkfield is the immersive experience creator known for their binaural audio-based shipping container shows, such as Flight and Seance. Double is the first piece from the new Darkfield Radio, a series of immersive audio experiences for home. We actually interviewed Darkfield's artistic director, Glenn Neath, some time ago. Unfortunately, the production of that episode has been delayed due to audio quality issues with an international phone call. But the Darkfield team are experts and have been creating experimental and interactive theater since the 90s. And speaking of immersive audio, last month, Apple announced that AirPods Pro would be getting an update for spatial audio with the release of iOS 14. This is more than surround sound on steroids. Using accelerometers and gyroscopes, which apparently have found their way into AirPods, sounds will become responsive to your location and even the position of your head. If you're a gamer, you're likely familiar with the experience of hearing something behind you, turning your character around, and having the sound move in front of you accordingly. This is much more difficult to simulate in real life. For example, you're sitting in an immersive experience. You're wearing headphones and your eyes are closed. A high-quality recording of an actor standing behind you and whispering is a perfect recipe for goosebumps. If, at that moment, you reflexively turn your head 90 degrees to the left, the actor's voice should sound different, slightly louder in your left ear, slightly quieter in your right. But if it sounds like an actor has magically teleported with the movement of your head instead of standing in one place, poof, the illusion is broken. A lower barrier of entry for technology that solves these problems creates new possibility for AR experiences like Pokemon Go, but also opens many doors for the role of sound in live immersive as well. That brings us to the end of the immersive community brief. As always, if you go to immersionnation.com podcast, you can find links to everything I just mentioned in the show notes for episode 45. If you have any questions, comments, fresh perspectives about today's interview, or anything else we covered in the Immersive Community Brief, I personally respond to all DMs that go to Immersion Nation's Instagram, and I'm always happy to chat. And of course, stay well, stay curious, and thank you for joining us on this adventure.